Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. One of the first things you mentioned is how Daniel Jones was in the building, just yeah. like Joe Shane did the other day. So there's a lot of excitement with your hire from fans um, because of what you did do with Josh Allen. How do we kind of temper those expectations? What should we expect about the, your impact on this Giants offense and what you could do with Daniel? Yeah, we're going to take it day by day. Uh, look, we're not going to make any predictions, and I, I wouldn't do that to Daniel or really any player. I don't think that's fair to compare him to another guy that I was working with. Um, you know, he's, he's himself. We're going to find out what he does well. We're going to try to implement a system that suits him. And then it's our job to bring pieces in that help him to be the best version of himself and the best quarterback for us. Uh, he's got the right mindset. Uh, he's got good size. There's, there's a lot of things to like about Daniel. Um, and we'll just take it one day at a time. We'll work with him. We'll help him get better. We'll help him be a better leader. We'll help him be everything. You know, that's, that's our job as a coaching staff and as an organization. It takes everybody. It's not, just, it's not just me. You know, it's the rest of the coaches on our staff. It's the scouts. It's the support staff. It's the ownership group. Uh, it, takes a, it takes a lot to raise a quarterback, if you will. Um, you know, and he's been, he's been around the block here these last three years with some different pieces. We're going to try to give him some stability and, and just take it from there. Welcome into the show. Uh, what do you think, Dan? You ready to start digging into this new era of Giants football with all these like, completely uh, overhauled coaching staff? I, listen, I am just ready to move forward, period, at this point. I can't wait to actually get back to talking about football, where the Giants are going, what's happening, what we can expect. I think that's what the fans themselves have been waiting for as well. Yeah, 100%. We covered the Brian Flores lawsuit, what it means for the Giants and the NFL extensively last week. We had sports attorney Alex Sinatra on. It was a great conversation. Uh, so if you're into that, haven't heard that one yet, please check it out. Um, but this week, we're on to Brian Dayball, the coaching staff he's assembling, and Daniel Jones. And I'm excited to hit all those topics. And we'll be doing that along with Giants Wire senior writer John Fenley. And John, we've been waiting to get you on the show for, for a while now. It only took us like, what, what was it, two years, Dan, to get John on? A so little, John, a little a far, far too long. So yeah. John, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. My pleasure. Yeah, it's great to have you. And let's start with Brian Dayball. You know, the head coach, I think we all expected the most after Joe Shane was hired to replace Dave Gettleman as a GM. And, and I'll start here, but then I want to get both of your takes on this. I love the hire. I love the hire for the Giants. I think they got, I mean, you go through this list of the nine head coaches that were hired this cycle. Matt Eberflus, Nathaniel Hackett, Mike McDaniel, Doug Peterson, Josh McDaniels, Dennis Allen, Lovey Smith, Kevin O'Connell. I think Brian Dable is the number one guy on the list. He's coached on, on both sides of the ball. Back when he was with New England, that's a Belichick thing. He started as a defensive assistant. That was 22 years ago in New England. But he's coached the quarterbacks, including when he was he did a short stint with the Jets. He coached Brett Favre over there. He's coached wide receivers. He coached the tight ends when he had his second stint with the Patriots when Rob Gronkowski was in his prime. He's been the offensive coordinator at three different for three different franchises, the Browns, Kansas City, and most recently Buffalo. And he went over to Alabama working with Jalen Hurts and Tua and won a national title over there. So... I just think his resume made him the number one offensive-minded coach, and uh, the most offensive, needy team in football was probably the Giants, right? They got him. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see how he does running the show for the first time. But I just feel this is a massive hire for the Giants, isn't it? I, I certainly feel like it was the right hire. I know there are some out there who disagree. Uh, but when we entered the process, the biggest two names were always from the very beginning were Brian Dayball and Brian Flores. And it 
stayed true to form right up until the very end. They were the two top candidates. In the end, Shane went with the guy he was familiar with, the offensive-minded head coach. I don't think that really came as much surprise. The second that Shane was hired, most figured Dayball was going to be the guy. Um, I know, obviously, we talked about the controversy behind that, and that's something people can go back and listen to the last episode of the podcast to uh, dive further into. But just from you know an X and O's pure football standpoint, it just seemed to make sense given specifically what the Giants need. What do you think, John? Give me your take on Dayball. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, you need an offensive-minded head coach because the NFL has become a shootout league. And if you can't get involved or, or play shootout football, you're not going to win many games. And that's what we've seen the last couple of years. Now, a big thing is who's his offensive coordinator going to be, right? We, we know who that is now. I think it sounded like, you know, that pipeline between Buffalo and East Rutherford, the, you know, the Giants have been trying to pluck some Bills coaches. They went after Ken Dorsey, Dan. They end up with Mike Kafka. And Kafka, you know, coming over from the Chiefs organization, QB coach and passing game coordinator you know, over there with Patrick Mahomes, that's a certainly a check mark. I think... Kafka was also pegged for the Kansas City offensive coordinator job should Eric Bieniemy ever get a head coach mm-hmm. job. He's yeah, always right. he's always up there on the list. He never seems to get hired. I don't know why. I think Eric Bieniemy might have to leave Kansas City to, to finally get that. <laughs> that uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think that is what's going to have to happen. But, but, um, Mike Kafka, guys, give me your take yeah. on him. Well, I mean, listen, again, I think the most important and key aspect of his resume isn't necessarily that he was Patrick Mahomes' quarterback coach, it's that he was the passing game coordinator for the most electric passing offense in football over the past two seasons. And granted, they had a lull earlier this year. They turned it around. They turned things back on. And yes, they've they've got significantly more talent than the Giants do. But what you saw in Kansas City was the ability to mix and match with all of their roster, offensive roster, get everyone involved, everyone productive. Uh, the schemes were unique. They were different. They uh, kept defenses on the heels. It's the exact kind of new age thinking that the Giants need. And, um, you know, I think he'll come in and, and fit in. It's And, again, it's not going to necessarily be his offense. It's going to be Brian Dayball's offense. We don't even necessarily know if Kafka's going to call plays. Uh, there was a misconception about whether or not the Giants were going after Dorsey. Uh, it turns out they didn't actually even request an interview with him. Okay, good to know. Good to know. And, and John, I think, uh, right. you know, who's calling the offensive plays? That's an interesting little little piece, right? Uh-oh. Because Dayball, he's refused to say whether he will yeah. or won't. Uh, and and I think with Kafka never, you know, never having been a play caller, you know, we know that was Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy handling that for the Chiefs. I think that makes this interesting. Mm-hmm. Is is Dayball planning to call the plays? I think that's another storyline we're we're kind of watching here going into training camp. Yeah, I can see Dayball actually handing it over to Kafka over time. You know, so that that would probably be the natural uh, transgression how this thing goes. What do you think of, I can oh, see on, the offense right now. Kadarius Tony equal Tyreek Hill. And the Giants going into the draft and not taking one tight end, but two tight ends to be the Travis Kelsey role. And there's plenty of tight ends in this draft that could certainly fill that role. Yeah, well, one thing I found interesting is both uh, Joe Shane and Dayball made it a point to bring up Daniel Jones, right? Unprompted when we heard them speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what should we read into that, right? I think Daniel Jones, and this is looking at it from the outside, Daniel Jones in the facility working out when Dayball arrives during that Nor'easter, good for him. That's a good first impression. Uh, I thought that was a nice little nugget that came out of, uh, you know, Dayball's presser. Uh, you know, he Dayball clearly likes him. The Giants are clearly ready to work with Daniel in 2022. But, like, what about 2023? What about beyond? Like, are we really going to say, okay, it's it's one year for Daniel Jones to prove it, you know, with another new regime coming in? Uh, you know, as the owner said, it's just like he's the kid's been in an impossible situation. So what about Daniel Jones? I, I sounds like Joe Shane and, 
and Dave all like him and are, and are moving forward with him for this year. I just don't know about his future, right? That that is well, still very very muddy. Yeah, and and I think we're in, in general agreement that there's no way the Giants are going to pick up his fifth year option. It doesn't really necessarily make sense to mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and I think people are probably going to read into that way more than they should. The franchise tag isn't really that much more expensive than that fifth year option. And at that point, Daniel Jones has proved himself. The Giants are going to want to fi- you know sign him to a long term extension anyway to knock that cap pit down. So I, I wouldn't read too much into the decision on the fifth year option, but I, I don't know if they're still committing themselves to Daniel Jones long-term. I don't think they have a choice but to commit to him this year. The free agent market is not exactly flush with talent. The uh, prospects coming out in the draft aren't necessarily, you know, the greatest. They're not going to light the world on fire. I mean, of course they could. Everybody could be wrong. But the general consensus is it's not necessarily a strong draft in terms of quarterbacks. And there were even some reports circulating this week that uh, some teams don't have a a first-round grade on a single one of the quarterbacks. So, you know, for the Giants, the best option is to hitch that wagon to Daniel Jones for at least one more year and hope that it all works out in a new system. You know, the odds are certainly stacked against them. They have not been in his favor since day one, and there's not going to be this magical turnaround in East Rutherford where all of a sudden the Giants are winning 12 games and the offense is on absolute fire. There's still a lot that needs to be done. They're going to have to trim cap space, so they're going to end up losing potentially players like Sterling Shepard that weaken, obviously, the wide receiver group. I can't see a scenario in which they bring back Evan Ingram. So, as John said, you're going to have to look for tight ends. And then, you know, the offensive line, which we could dedicate 10 shows to (laughs) and everything that they need to do there. So I think you're going to need to see a modest improvement from Daniel Jones, but you're not going to see the team commit to that fifth-year option, and you're probably not going to see them commit long-term until the end of next season. And that's only assuming that things go well for Daniel Jones and there's enough progress and they see enough in both practice and on the field that they'll commit to him a little bit longer. Well, it's good that his name is synonymous with Josh Allen these days, right? Right, John? Like, that's that's fair. <laughs> uh, he's nowhere near Josh Allen <laughs> when it comes to uh, football talent. I mean, he's probably a more intelligent kid because he's an economics major from Duke. We know he can run fast in a straight line. Uh, but when it comes to uh, improvisational play, he's I mean, Josh Allen's probably the best in football. Uh, sometimes I watch the Bills, and, and I think that the play was to snap the ball to Allen and let him do the rest. It doesn't seem to be like, like a called play. And, Dan, you've seen this too. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets the ball, he, he runs three feet to his right or three feet to his left, and then decides to either throw it or run it. Jones can't play a game like that. So they're going to have to tailor the offense to uh, more of his skills. They have to make him throw the ball deeper. Deep, He's a yep. good deep thrower. And, and run the ball out of necessity. They won't have the cold plays they had in Buffalo where, where the play was for Allen to run with the ball. They don't want to expose uh, Jones to that because he's missed games to injury three years in a row. So he's not as durable as Eli Manning or Josh Allen. So he's somewhere in between, I guess. I, I also think he hurts himself. He just he just doesn't seem yeah. to want to slide. He doesn't seem to know when to slide. He doesn't seem to know when to go out of bounds. And I attribute it to a competitive spirit. But at this point, at this stage of the game, if he's not matured out of that, the Giants, their new GM, the new staff, they're going to have to take that into consideration and, and maybe not risk Jones yeah. so much. So they're going to potentially turn him into more of a pocket passer, not necessarily a strict pocket passer, but probably more of one than we've seen in recent years, especially in the aftermath of that, that neck injury. Well, I mean, if he's not on the field, 
there's the, he's taking the decision out of their hands, right? There's no decision anymore. Yeah, They're going to move absolutely. on. He's got to be well, on the people field. People were spoiled by Eli Manning, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. for years, for a decade, you know, more. People were just used to the Giants quarterback being in there no matter what. And granted, yeah, Eli took criticism for every damn thing. But he was always on the field. He was always reliable. He always knew he was going to be on the field. And I think Giants fans really, really took that for granted. Now, I had one more thought on Dayball and maybe the play calling before we move on to the defensive side here. Um, and, and guys, this is just a thought that occurred to me. Tell me if this is stupid. You know, don't feel free to call me an idiot. Uh, but, you know, I know if, if Dayball comes out, like John said, you know, maybe Dayball comes out calling the plays and then eventually coaches up Kafka, hands it off to him, which, you know, makes sense. Coming down from the booth, like, he was up in the booth in Buffalo. Now you're on the sideline. You're trying to call plays. You're trying to run the whole thing. You're trying to manage the clock, work the refs, do all that, timeouts, everything. Like, does that worry you at all? Uh, for some reason, like, Dayball being up in the in the press box, calling the plays for Buffalo, and then coming down to the sideline and then trying to, to do all that, that scares me a little bit. I, I think that's one thing I'm a little bit worried about. I've always been a little wary of, of coaches, particularly first-time coaches, who think they're going to come in and run the team and call the plays and not necessarily grasp the magnitude of what it is that their job entails. Uh, you know, you saw that with Ben McAdoo. You've seen that with other guys throughout the years. It's just more often than not for a first-year guy, it doesn't necessarily work out. That said, I'm not going to be so quick to write off Dayball potentially being able to succeed in that way strictly because of the amount of experience and quality coaches he's added to his staff. It's really going to take a lot of the pressure off of his shoulders uh, with, you know, Martindale, who we'll talk about in a moment in particular, uh, has a ton of experience. There's other guys that have been assistant head coaches, head coaches, coordinators that are being added to the staff or are rumored to be added to the staff. Um, so in, in that regard, I do think a lot of the pressure is going to be taken off of him, but there's still going to be more than he likely anticipates. Yeah, it, it can't get any worse than it was under Joe Judge. Uh, <laughs> it was a, a fire drill. You know, at, with two minutes to go in the half, two minutes to go in the game, they didn't know how to use their timeouts. They did not have a two-minute offense. Uh, all of that's got to change. The quality control people, you know, getting people on and off the field, I think that'll be better. Uh, the management of timeouts will be better. The management of, of a two-minute offense and a two-minute defense. I mean, mm -hmm. how many points did the Giants give up right before halftime this year? <laughs> 79. Unbelievable. Like, yeah. 70, 79 yes. to zero. 79, yeah, 79 they, to zero. Yeah, that's right. They never scored. Yeah, they would never so, score in a two-minute. <laughs> so all of that's going to change. And I think, you know, going into the tunnel after giving up a score, I mean, that, that's a defeatist uh, mantra right there. You know, you give up a touchdown, you know, with 30 seconds to go, uh, you know. Coming out in the second half, it's you know, you, and, you, and you don't get the ball because they also mismanaged the coin toss. Yeah. If that's even possible, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was it was they a mess. Take yeah. the ball. They always yeah. take the ball. They got the worst offense in the league. <laughs> so if I win the, to the coin toss with the Giants, I, I let my defense start the game. Joe Judge is playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. You know what I mean? So in his own mind, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I mean, you know. That's the fair answer to your question there, Ryan, is, is, you know, is it too much for him? Maybe, but it'll still be a lot better <laughs> be than better it better than Judge, yes. I think John nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to feel good about the offense, right? We, we can feel really good about the offense. How about the defensive side of the ball? How do we feel about Patrick Graham being in Vegas? How do we feel about that side of the ball being overhauled in terms of the coaching staff? We'll get into that right after this. This is the typical sports book minute. Let's make this interesting.
What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bet Slippin' Podcast presented by SportsbookWire.com. I'm here with my handicapping homie, Nathan Beagle, to break down this week's Super Bowl matchup between the Los Angeles Rams and Cincinnati Bengals. Our friends at Typico Sportsbook have the Rams favored by 4.5 points and the total sitting at 48.5. I'm laying the points at the Rams because they have the better coach, they have the better offense, the better defense, the better special teams, and they're playing in their home stadium. Nate, how are you betting this game? I'm laying fewer points. The Rams and the Bengals are combined one and five over under in this postseason, and the two defenses have played better than expected. I'll take the under 48 and a half. That was your typical sportsbook minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See Tipico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, guys. So uh, we've been talking about Brian Dayball on the offensive side. Well, he lost his, his first choice for defensive coordinator, right, when Patrick Graham left for the same role in Las Vegas. Give me your, give me your opening take on Patrick Graham being, uh, being in Vegas and Wink Martindale coming over from Baltimore. He's the new defensive coordinator for the Giants. Yeah, I was a little surprised to see Graham leave after uh, after some of those other options, those head coaching options kind of fell through the cracks. You know, the overall anticipation, the expectation was that he would return to Dayball staff, serve as defensive coordinator, and, you know, not much would change. Granted, you know, he's obviously got a lot of familiarity with, with McDaniels. They coached together for a while. Um Still, it was a surprise to see him depart. I don't think many expected it. I'm curious to see if the Brian Flores decision played any role in that. Um, whether or not it did, I'm not sure Graham will come out and publicly admit that. Well, we know he's close with some... Flores. He's close with Flores, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, friends. absolutely. Yeah. For, yeah. For, so, and for, so, yeah, for reasons just beyond you know the things that are listed in the lawsuit, they were very close. And, um, I, and, you know, he was close with Judge, too. Like, say whatever you want about Judge, but those two are very, very close personal friends. And I think that there had to be some sort of conflict in Graham's head about coming back and returning to the Giants after they had just fired, you know, one of his closest friends and then passed over another one of his closest friends for the head coaching job. So I think there were a lot of conflicting emotions there. And ultimately, maybe he just felt comfortable rejoining, you know, McDaniels out in Las Vegas. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. And uh, there's a couple other things. You know, he was assistant head coach under Judge. And I don't know if he was going to get that title under Dable. Right. And, uh, you know, the other thing to weigh is Las Vegas, North Jersey. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Losing team versus a team that's in the playoffs. Oh, also no ice storms. Think about it. Right? No more ice storms. And uh, no state income tax in Nevada. I think that all kind of plays into it a little bit. Dan, you always talk about how Patrick Graham is a smart man. And, you know, there's, what is it? What's the income tax in New Jersey? Yeah. Yeah, What's it? What's it? 9% or something? The state income tax? I mean, come on. He's making to make more money over there. Yeah, there are, there are plenty of reasons for him to, to hightail it. Uh, I, I genuinely believed him, and I, and I think everybody should when he said that the Giants were his dream job. I, I genuinely believe that to be true, but I think there was just so much change and so much personal he, – he was tied into so many different personal aspects of what was going on that it probably just made sense for him and his family to move on. So instead, the Giants now have, uh, have Wink Martindale as their defensive coordinator and potentially – with Rob Ryan on his staff, so that'll that will be interesting to say the least. Yeah, well, and it, we just see it all the time in the league when new head coaches come in, coordinators tend to leave. Right, that's just kind of where we're at. 
even, I mean, it's kind of rare where you have a really good coordinator like Patrick Graham and you're able to retain him, especially when he was up for your head coach job and he didn't get it. Uh, yeah. So we're seeing that around the league. These guys uh, tend to move even in a lateral sense, a lateral move yeah. to Vegas. Uh, but yeah, Wink Martindale. So former Ravens defensive coordinator. He got a three-year contract with the Giants. Uh, his nickname is, like, like I've been saying, Wink, right? So he's got the nickname Wink. He's also known as the Blitzing Mullet. So this guy is uh is kind of, he's fun he's fun and he is a guy that uh you know give me some X's and O's on this guy he is a guy that's going to dial up pressure uh, constantly oh, yeah. right he is a he is a cover one cover zero guy he he does a lot of blitzing there's no doubt about it the Giants better get ready for that the defensive players yeah. they're going to be able to do a whole lot more blitzing than they've been doing in, in the last few years I think that's a good thing primarily because the Giants have struggled to create a rush a consistent rush an organic rush and even though you've seen guys like Ozizo Jolari come on and obviously there's a chance for them to grab a, a premier edge rusher in the draft at some point, how that plays out in the secondary, you know, that remains to be seen. You got players like, you know, Dak Prescott of the Cowboys, who's particularly, particularly good against the blitz and uh, particularly good against the cover zero. Uh, so you, you have potential problems there within the NFC East, but I think it's going to be more of a developmental thing. I don't think we're really going to get a feel of what Martindale's defense truly is until a year from now when the Giants are, you know, are able to go through their roster build a little bit more, bring in some personnel, uh, familiarize the players with what's going on. Uh, I think one of the benefits they have is that although Patrick Graham called it a quote-unquote multiple defense. He did do a lot of 3-4, and the Giants have a lot of 3-4 personnel, which is the expectation that Martindale will keep when he comes in as well. So they won't have to do a complete overhaul again from the 4-3 to the 3-4 or the 3-4 to the 4-3. Um, so in terms of what personnel they do have, there's at least some level of a base there for Martindale to work with. Ojolari is going to be the big winner here. They're going to line him up to tee off on what he does best, go after the pass. Yep. And the other thing is, is that this may be an opportunity for them to to re-sign Lorenzo Cobb, yep. Yep. Who, had a, who had a great November and December. The light went on a little bit too late for the Giants to really commit to him. But they could bring him back via free agency. This guy all of a sudden became uh, Pro Bowl caliber in the last six games of his Giants career. So uh, if they could retain him, keep old Jalari, uh, Blake Martinez will be coming back to call the plays. Uh, that's always good to have an experienced guy like that. And, you know, they're going to look for another inside linebacker in the draft. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot mm -hmm. of good ones, too. So sure. I, I think they'll have a solid uh, four. But now the front three, you've got uh, Williams, you've got Lawrence, you have Austin Johnson. And they'll bring back, they'll probably sign another guy or two in there and have a nice rotation. But uh, they've got a nice front seven. Davian McKinney is, is going to be a solid safety in this league. This is why Dan is saying, Kyle Hamilton, why, are we, why would we draft him? when We already got a guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I know they probably won't bring Peppers back, but you got nope. Logan Ryan. You, know, you have Julian Love. Uh, they got a lot of pieces on defense. I love McKinney. What the salary cap is going to call for with James Bradbury. They may cut him. Yeah, they may. They very well may. They may have to. I mean, mm -hmm. they may not have a choice. Right. And and Shane has said already that they want to clear, you know, 40 million in cap space. And I see a lot of people doing the numbers and, and you know, it's like, oh, here's 40 million cleared, but it's 27 million and dead cap, which which really means the Giants are going to have to clear significantly more. So it, it is very, Correct. I, I would say, even realistic to think that players like Bradbury, unfortunately, if they don't take a pay cut, 
are ultimately going to, you know, be cut loose. And you know what some of the executives in, in football say, if you approach a guy about a pay cut, you better be prepared to cut them out. Right. So there, there's going right. to be some tough decisions that are made in the, in the coming weeks and, and players like Bradbury, you know, cutting him loose is certainly going to, you know, hurt the personnel defensively a little bit, but where the giants have a luxury there is as John just ran down, they, they have a lot more talent on the defensive side of the ball young talent on the defensive side of the ball than they do on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, like you said, guys like Xavier McKinney, I don't think he's just going to be a good safety. I think he has the potential to be an elite safety in the NFL. And mm-hmm. Julian Love is is so vastly underrated and forgotten about. It's another reason why right. I see these mock drafts with Kyle Hamilton. And it's like, why? But the, luckily for Martindale, there are certainly pieces there. They're going to have to move some around, but there, there's a lot of building blocks and a foundation there that can be built upon. Well, you guys hit on it. The one uh, criticism we've had and we've heard from Giants fans is that the, the we just don't get enough pressure on these quarterbacks, and that's the name of the game. you got to pressure the quarterback, and well, we bring in the blitzing mullet. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of pressure, a lot of man coverage. So eh, I don't know if I'd love losing Bradbury if, if that has no, to happen. No, that, that <laughs> would be a, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's an absolute legitimate concern, but at the same time, those guys – you know, Bradbury, Adoree, Jackson with the Giants, they tend to play off the receiver. Under Martindale, it's going to be press coverage. They're going to be man-on-man. So it's kind of a different style for those guys, too. So there would be an adjustment if they're kept there, too. So that's something to consider when the Giants start making these personnel moves. They'll have a a guy that can press cover in Radarius Williams. You know, a a big physical corner like him. You're going to see him play a big role there, I think. Yeah, he and he was to to his credit. He was playing, you know, he looked good in in, in preseason throughout training camp and practices. He had some hiccups when he was on the field, but you know, he's a rookie. That's that's going to happen. But the Giants do have a, a talent there, uh, and one that's often forgotten about, actually. And, and you know, you got Aaron Robinson too, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, where he fits into this whole thing. Yeah. He didn't get a whole lot of playing time last year, so the Giants do have. You know, some young talent, some young pieces in the secondary to work with if they do have to cut loose someone like Bradbury. Uh, I was going to say, you got you got Martindale and you got Dayball. Could you imagine having this coaching staff over for your Super Bowl party? Like you'd have to you'd have to you'd have to buy out the entire grocery store, Dan. This, these are some these are some big, big dudes over on that yeah. sideline. Yeah, yeah, right. And then you got rumors like guys like Brian Cox coming in. Too, <laughs> there you who's, go. Who's a monster himself. Who's going to mess I'd with the Giants this. coaching staff, yeah. this new this new staff? Oh, yeah, right. Nope. I would love to see how that dynamic works. You got players, you know, guys like Brian Cox, Rob Ryan, Brian <laughs> Dayball, Wink Martindale. <laughs> I'll tell you what's going to be interesting this year. The press conferences are going to be interesting this year. <laughs> if you need offensive line help, just There's put the coaches in there. a lot of X's on the backs of those shirts. <laughs> yeah, <for laughs> exactly. Sure. Exactly. Uh, give me a final word on the, uh, on the rest of the staff. Guys, if you want to talk about the O line coach, the D line coach, they've made a couple other hires. I think even as as soon as today or yesterday. Yeah. Um, yesterday. What what stands out the most? I I don't want to I don't want to pinpoint any single one of of the assistants or rumored assistants since none of them are technically official yet. Uh, I will say this, however, if it turns out to be accurate, all these reports of of these potential hires and the Giants do announce these particular assistant coaches. Uh, I'm impressed with the coaching staff. I am, and I, and I want to temper my expectations. I do, because I felt equally excited about the experience and, and talent and, and the intelligence of Joe Judge's coaching staff. And let's just be honest, we all saw how that worked out. But I think as far as the assistants and the coordinators, the, the most underrated move the Giants have made so far is retaining Thomas McGahee to coach the special teams. Mm-hmm. I think that was an absolutely intelligent decision for the team to keep him. I'm surprised that he didn't get a promotion somewhere or even some head coaching interviews. I don't know how much longer he's going to stick around, 
Uh, but good on the Giants for keeping McGee in tow. And uh, good luck to Bobby Johnson, who's the new offensive line coach, <laughs> trying to get blood out of a stone. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough uh, job. He's got Andrew Thomas and you know, the old Milwaukee Braves that spawn insane and pray for rain. <laughs> they got Andrew Thomas and pray for rain until the draft comes. That's about it. Yeah, in the mock draft, but, just just select an offensive lineman with every pick, and you might be closer. Yeah, not a, not a safety at number five. You might be closer to hitting it if you just pick an offensive <laughs> lineman um, at every pick. So, yeah. So Hey, listen, I, I wouldn't be upset if the Giants went ahead and, and spent their first three picks on offensive linemen. I, gen, I genuinely well, would not be upset with it. John, thanks for bringing the knowledge this week, man. It was a good conversation. Yeah, it was good. Uh, it's good being on. We'll be back later this offseason, and we will talk to you all then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.